You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's out of the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 10. Ron just read it to us, and since I studied this story probably two, three years ago, I've actually thought about it a lot off and on over that time. And so I want us to look there at Mark 10. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10 in Mark's gospel. The good news for you is that uh, you're going to get a shorter sermon today, relatively speaking. So I don't know if that's good news for you or not, but that's what you're going to get. Mark chapter 10. The story that Ron just read and we're going to look at is, is in many ways a paradigm of what it means to follow Jesus. Our deep longing as a church is that the people of Providence Church would follow Jesus Christ. So everything that we do, from gathered worship uh, to meeting in gospel communities to doing mission both internationally and in the city and in our neighborhoods and in our offices, all that we do flows out of this belief that life is found in Jesus Christ. Like life as it's meant to be lived, as God intends it, is only found in Jesus Christ. And so knowing Jesus by faith and walking with Jesus by faith, we would say is the greatest good for a human being. And so as a church, you might say that we are a gathered group of disciples of Jesus, and we're at various places on our journey with him. Some of you have walked with Jesus for years. Some of you are just getting started in your walk with Jesus. Some of you are just investigating what it means to know Jesus for the first time. And so, just to give you an example of this, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we had a a training for our Providence Kids volunteers and teachers for our children's ministry uh, here at the church. And if you serve in Providence Kids, we are so grateful for you. Uh, Our children's ministry is, uh, is, is very much meant to be a place where our children grow up in the gospel. And so that we want to be discipling them as a church, that they would walk with him for a lifetime, and equipping parents that they might be the primary disciplers in the lives of their kids. And so what do we do in children's ministry? Well, we pray for them. We pray with them. We teach. We sing. We instruct. We point them to Jesus. Uh, In many ways, Providence Kids or Children's Ministry is just kind of a small picture or a microcosm of what the church ought to be about in the lives of all people, no matter where you're at. Old and young, you've known Christ for decades, uh, or you're a new Christian, or maybe you're not yet a Christian. The church ought to be pushing you towards following Jesus as a disciple. 
Now, that being said, what does it look like to follow Jesus as a disciple? Like, how do we know how to do it? How do we know what it means to follow Jesus? Is there a model that we can look to? Well, we believe, uh, because of the centrality of God's Word in the life of a Christian, that one of the key ways to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to read the Bible, the narrative accounts in the Bible, specifically the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the disciples, uh, the stories of the disciples in Jesus that we find in the Bible have much to say about our life as disciples of Jesus. There is a... uh, there's a tiny little verse in the book of Hebrews. I call it a bridge verse. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And this is what Hebrews 13, 8 says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in other words, if Jesus is unchanging, then we can say that what Jesus says in, in his interactions with his disciples in the gospel accounts, what he calls them to, in many ways, bridges forward to our lives 2,000 years later. And we can learn a lot about the gospel uh, from the gospel narrative accounts. One of the great things that we need to know about as Christians about the Bible is that the Bible is primarily narrative story. Uh, this book is not primarily a list of things for you to believe. This is not a systematic theology that you're supposed to go through and sort of check off, yes, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. It's primarily narrative, and that's a good thing because we we tend to learn best from story, from narrative. We love story as people. That's why we love movies. It's it's why we love music that tells story. It's why our kids love to hear stories. And my kids have always, from they've gotten older now, and they still are like, tell us a story, Dad. And uh, I think I've shared this before, but Uh, One of the things we used to do more when my kids were a little bit younger is that when we would read a Bible story, we would act it out uh, because they it just it made it come alive. And it was probably three, four years ago, we were uh, reading the story of uh, David and Goliath, and uh, and we were they're like, let's act this thing out. And so I'm like, all right, let's who's going to be the character? Who's going to be David? And I was like, Jessica, our middle daughter, should be David. All right, who's going to be Goliath? They're like, well, let's make Sophie Goliath, who's our youngest daughter, and uh, because nothing says huge, hairy Philistine villain like three-year-old, cute little girl, and uh, so Sophie's Goliath, and we're I'm reading the story, and they're acting it out in my living room, and as they're acting it out, I'm thinking, is this really a children's story? This is this is like a man-on-man death match in my living room, and uh, if it was a movie, I would not let them watch this, but we're we're acting it out, and as we. Uh, you know, Sophie the Philistine takes a rock in the head. You know the story, and uh, she goes down. Here's what could have happened. I could have said to my daughters, instead of reading the story, I could have said, hey, listen, I got some truth for y'all to think about, All right? Here's a truth for you, girls. God, being strong, sometimes works through the weak things of the world to show himself strong. And I'm sure they would have said, well, thank you, Father. That is some good truth. We will consider that and how that works into our daily life. Uh, or we could have read the story of David and Goliath and acted it out and talked about it. Hey, what did you learn there, girls? And we could have come to God often uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And we could have said, you know what? There's a greater King David that comes much later who came in weakness and then showed himself strong. 
So story or narrative is powerful, and we learn so much about how God interacts with his people, how he interacts with the world from reading story. And so I want us to look at, uh, that's a really long introduction just to get us to our text in uh, Mark chapter 10 about uh, blind, blind Bartimaeus. Now, this is the account of Jesus healing a blind man. I want you to know that this story is not here just to give account of what happens. Okay? It does that, but the story is here for another reason. Whenever you read a story in the narrative of God's word, you have to ask yourself, why is this particular story in here? Like, Why is it that this account made the cut? Out of all the things that Jesus did and said and told, why is it that this story uh, gets in the narrative? Um, and so Jesus is going to teach his disciples something about what it means to follow him here. And I think he's going to teach us something about himself and about what it means to follow him. Um, he's going to teach us something about what it means to see him accurately. Okay? By the way, uh, Jesus, as you read the Gospels, Jesus is never arbitrary in his interactions, in his healings of people, in his miraculous signs. Uh, Jesus never does anything just to show off his power, right? He, Jesus is not into raw displays of power. He never says something like, watch this, Peter. Boom, you got a donkey head now. You know what I mean? He doesn't do that. Boom, Peter, now you got your regular head back. Wasn't that cool? That's not how Jesus uh, acts in the, in the scriptures. What Jesus does is he's very specific in his in, in his miracles, in his healings. Jesus heals because he longs to make things right, and he longs to make people whole again, uh, but he also heals in such a way that teaches. All of the miracles of Jesus in the scriptures have significance. We said this a few weeks ago. They have significance. They point to him being who he said to be. All right, so uh, John, uh, Mark 10, verse 46. Mark 10, 46. Let's think about what we learn about following Jesus as we read this. And so they came from Jericho, uh, he being, uh, they being Jesus and his disciples. They came from Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples. Now, you ought to pause there. They came to Jericho, and then the next sentence is, as he was leaving Jericho. We're not going to mind what happened in Jericho. Something happened in Jericho, but it's not important to the story. What's important to the story is what happens as they were leaving Jericho, because it, it Mark's going to get really detailed here, Okay. As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar sitting on the ground. Those are all signs of weakness. Uh, Bartimaeus is in the lowest of positions. Financially, socially, he's way down on the totem pole, and then even physically, he's actually sitting on the ground, which is a sign of weakness. Bartimaeus has no position, he has no power, he has nothing to bring to the table or offer Jesus. All that Bartimaeus brings to the table in this encounter is total weakness, total dependence, total need. Now, sometimes I think our greatest hindrance uh, to a life of discipleship, to a life of following Jesus, is actually what we bring to the table. Our strengths, our possessions, uh, our power, our authority, our experience. Sometimes that's the greatest hindrance to us. 
Uh, many of us in middle, upper-class, educated America have, sp- have, have really grown up our entire life hearing how great we are. Hearing, you know, if you just put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And sometimes I think we mistake our strength and our abilities for something that Jesus needs in his program. To use a college football recruiting analogy, uh, which I love, college football recruiting we tend to think we're four- and five-star recruits, which is the highest, you know, five stars, the highest you can get. And we think, you know, if Jesus could only sign me on signing day to his program, then he'd have a really good team going here, right? Bartimaeus is not even a one-star recruit. Bartimaeus is Rudy, right? No one wants Bartimaeus on their team. He's got nothing that he's bringing to the table here. Total weakness. All right. Let me ask you this. When you think about your life, what is the area in your life that you are most, most likely or most prone to rely on yourself? What you bring to the table. Is it your intellect? Is it your position? Is it your experience or experiences? Is it your possessions? Is it your relationships? Is it some sort of authority that you have in a worldly sense? Where are you most likely to depend on yourself and what you bring to the table? Bartimaeus does not bring anything to the table. Verse 47. And when Bartimaeus heard it, that, Jesus, uh, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls Jesus the son of David. And this is the only time in the book of Mark that anyone addresses Jesus with that title. It is a royal title. It's a messianic title. Bartimaeus knows something about Jesus. He knows that this one who's walking through town now, even though he can't see him, is uh, the coming king, the king that was expected in the lineage of David. He knows that this is the Messiah, and so he calls him that, and he cries out something very specific. He says, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Bartimaeus shouts out a cry of faith. It's a cry of total dependence, total need. He realizes that he has need and that only Jesus and his compassion can meet his need. The interesting thing about it is, is that Bartimaeus's cry is to be our cry for the rest of our life. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That cry is central to what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. Now, it's funny in the story because everybody in the story that can see, that has sight, everybody in the story that has some semblance of power or authority, uh, some sense of tact or social convention, uh, they're just all really bugged by Bartimaeus, the blind guy. I mean, they're not that enthralled with Jesus, but they're really annoyed with Bartimaeus. And they're like, dude, shut up, man. Somebody important walking through here, and you're just over there making a bunch of noise. And the irony, I think, of our story and our situation is is that the blind man was the only one that could see. The blind man, Bartimaeus, was the only one that could see Jesus accurately and for who he was. It's the whole kingdom of God flip-flop stuff. You know, the first or last, the greatest or least. If you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it. To really live, you've got to die. Only the blind can see. It's the kingdom of God. Verse 49. And Jesus stopped. I love that, those two words, Jesus stopped. When I studied this 
three years ago, I was just struck by the beauty of the thought that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, who certainly had a lot on his to-do list and calendar, stopped at the cry of a nobody. He stopped, and he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And so now the disciples want to get really involved, you know, they're like, and and they're still bossing Bartimaeus around. Uh, Get up, he's calling you. In verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And I love that image. He throws off his cloak. It's probably everything that he owns in the world, and he just gets rid of it. His very possession, his maybe only possession, it means nothing to him in light of the, the call of Jesus in his life. And he throws it off, and he moves toward Jesus. He moves from uh, inaction to action. He moves from uh, passivity to activity. And then verse 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And this is not a genie in the bottle kind of question. It's not like Bartimaeus, three wishes right now. What do you want? Money? You know, I'll I'll give you anything you want. Let's just get it going. That's not what Jesus is doing. This is a question of grace. Jesus is interested in meeting this man's greatest needs, his greatest desires. And what's the response of Bartimaeus? It's real basic. Uh, I would like to see. I would like the recovery of my eyesight. There's a real contrast here. Um, Earlier in the chapter, look at verse 36. Early in the chapter, Jesus asked the same question to two of his closest disciples, two of his closest friends, James and John. Verse 36 in Mark 10, Jesus said to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Uh, So James and John are kind of jockeying for position and power. James and John sort of imagine themselves as like A-team guys. They're on the varsity. They are five-star recruits, and they think, well, obviously we're on the A-team, so we're probably up for, you know, high-level cabinet positions in Jesus' administration. And that's, what they, that's their answer to Jesus' question. Bartimaeus knows that he's not that kind of player. He's got nothing to offer. And so when Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you, he comes with his greatest need, that, as he can see it. I want to see. And Jesus moves toward him in that moment in grace. And look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. So Bartimaeus immediately sees and he immediately follows Jesus on the way. And where is that way going? Chapter 11, the very next verse, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem. The way that Jesus was going was to Jerusalem, where he would die, where he would encounter the cross. And so the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's the way of death of self. Bartimaeus had already cast off his stuff. He had already moved towards Jesus in faith as his greatest good. And so in many ways, Bartimaeus had already died to self. And so it was appropriate for him to walk down the road with Jesus. And it's the road that Jesus calls us to uh, in following him. And here's what I want you to catch and me to catch. The story of Bartimaeus is our story. We have nothing to offer Jesus. 
we are, at some point in our life, become aware of our need, and we, in, in, in our need, we cry out to Jesus for mercy and compassion. Jesus calls us to himself, and when, he, when we come to him, he heals us. He gives us sight. We who were, were blind now have sight, and then he calls us to follow him along the way. That's our story. It's a story of grace. It is a beautiful story, and the deal is we never outgrow that initial cry. Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. We never outgrow that. That's actually how we're supposed to live the Christian life. Not out of strength, but out of weakness, out of dependence, out of poverty of spirit. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. There's actually no such thing as a strong Christian. Jesus is the strong one. That's good news. I grew up in a home... um, surrounded by the things of God. And for that, I'm grateful to my parents. I'm grateful to my grandparents and my, the heritage that I come from. I was just with my parents all week in Charlotte and uh, so appreciate how they raised me. So I, I'm, I grew up surrounded by the things of God, but in many ways, you could say I was just blind to the things of God and how they really impacted my life. Um, I just wanted to be a good guy. I wanted to be one of the good guys. I want to be a good student. I want to be a good friend. I want to be funny if I can. And I thought, you know, if Jesus contributed to my good guy resume, then, you know, give me some Jesus, right? And, you know, I don't want that on my resume. Well, I went off to college, and for some reason, about my first year into college, I decided I want to start, I want to start living like a Christian. I want to try to walk with God. And I don't know why. It just, it was God at work in my life. That's what I would say now. But at, at the time, I just thought, well, I believe I'm a Christian, so I should maybe start living like a Christian. Here's the interesting thing. It was only when I started to, li- to try to live like Jesus uh, that I realized my need, <laughs> that I realized my poverty. It was only by trying to live like Jesus did I realize I can't live like Jesus. It was like God wanted me to stop being so impressed with myself, get over myself. It was only in trying to keep all the rules that I realized that I'm just a rule breaker. It was only in trying to not sin that I realized I'm a sinner in need of mercy. And it was a great point in my life, uh, where especially through the, the, some other particular young men my age, uh, Jesus was passing by. And I cried out to him. And I began learning to cry out to him in faith, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And for me to have faith in Jesus, that meant stop trusting yourself, Todd, and trust in Jesus, the strong one. It was the story of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus' story is our story. So let me ask you this. Where do you see your story in this? Or do you see your story in Bartimaeus' story? It's there. Do you see it? Just like Bartimaeus, Jesus bids us to follow him along the road. Actually, he calls us to come with him and die, that we might truly live in Jesus. Our deepest need is to see Jesus accurately, to walk with him to follow him. Bartimaeus goes from sitting on the ground, on the side of the road, to following Jesus down the road. And that's to be our story too. Uh, And from the very beginning, we need his mercy, we need his grace, and so we cry out to him, and we need his grace and his mercy each step, each day, as we walk with him. In our weakness, uh, we see that we need his strength. It's the gospel. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.